the October strange and twisted tales released and recorded in October only. Tonight, three tales revolving around the matrimonial institution. First, we'll hear 22, followed by New Year's Night. And then, finally, a man of science. And now, our first story for the night, 22. I've recently graduated from college, and I am obsessed with airplanes. Especially airplane fornication, oh yeah. I'm role-playing online with a girl, and she's playing as a 747 while I am a jumbo jet. Oh yeah, put it in my rudder, she moans, uses lots of tildes to indicate satisfaction, and that's how you know it's getting good. Oh, fuck yeah. I type my response telling her what I'm gonna do with my cockpit. A nosedive. Right into your tail, you nasty aerodynamic slut! I love you! I lay in bed, staring at the ceiling. Ache in my lower back. Voice approaching. We have to make him pick up after himself here at home. She comes in, and the bed shifts while she gets in between the sheets. Then maybe he'll pick up after himself during free time. Teacher called you about it? I turn a little. Yeah, and I know it's a minor thing, but... Well, anyway. She pauses. How was work? Okay. Really? Really, it was fine. Just tired. Okay. Oh, you know, I forgot. Jeffrey picked something up that he found, I guess, on the sidewalk behind the school. Picks things up off the street, but not at home or in class. No kidding. I really should wash this thing. But here, I put it in the nightstand drawer. Here. He pulled this out of his backpack and gave it to me. A toy airplane? Mm Mm-hmm. She puts it in my hand. I look at it for a bit. Do you... Yeah. We're both holding it. I look at her and she slowly starts to smile as the wedding ring on her finger is lightly tapped against the plastic of the toy, my thumb and index pinching her pretty tightly. She doesn't say anything. Not minding the ache, I kind of lower my voice. Well, am I cleared for takeoff? She closes her eyes and little creases appear in the blanket as I lean toward her. She says, I sure love airplanes. She's cut off by me jamming the wing into her mouth, and before I can flinch away, her hands are in my hair until my hands are squeezing her thighs, and then just like that, we're 22. Our second story for the evening. New Year's Night. Am 27 now. Was best friends with a guy in middle school. Me and him primarily bonded over a cartoon show. A popular cartoon show. You've heard of it. It is one that is not meant for boys, and certainly isn't meant for teenage boys. That's all I'm willing to say. Often we'd go to his house to watch that show. Was usually given snickerdoodles by his grandma. His parents were not in the picture. Flashback to when I'm 14. One time, over at friend's house for overnight. In evening, he has to leave for motor therapy. I'm practically family there, so it's no big deal that I stay while he's away for two hours. I'm watching our favorite show on his TV when his grandma comes in. You know my name. It's an hour before I have to pick up Chad. Uh, yeah, I say, only darting my eyes away from screen for a second. Suddenly, she steps in front of screen, just during the transformation part, too. Damn. We fuck. 
She puts on her clothes. I am in a state of shock. Feels good slash bad. After, she says, Okay, I'll go pick Chad up. Don't you boys have too much fun tonight? She winks. After 15 minutes, she returns with my friend. He asks, What did you do while I was gone? I tell him which episodes of Cartoon Show I saw. Cool, he responds, and goes to kitchen to get a snickerdoodle. End of story. Flash forward to now. Me 27, him 27. Incident happened when I was 14. It's been 13 years. Have not spoken to friend since. Avoided coming over afterward. Stopped acknowledging him in the hallway. Was middle school. Since high school and graduation here he's not doing stellar, but only have a vague idea. Have own things to deal with. One day, get email. It's him. Tells me to hold off on drawing erotic art of characters in that cartoon show. He especially wants me to stop drawing erotic art of the lead character, who's female. I am an artist. No longer the sort of thing I get off to, but people online appreciate my work. Besides, haven't had GF in two years. Occupies time. It's not the only thing I draw. Have not spoken with friend in so long. Wonder why he's telling me to stop drawing a certain character. Apparently he's followed my work online. Says my art of this character in compromising positions is nice and even sexy, but that is starting to bother us. Us? Before I can reply, he sends me a second email. It is a wedding invitation. In it, he specifically asks me to bring my sketch pad. For a wedding. His wedding. To be held at the barn behind his grandma's house. Guess he inherited it and it's his barn now. Wow. I'm proud of him for getting married. Wait. Scroll down. Picture of lead character. From the cartoon show. From the cartoon show that we watched in middle school. What? It's the day of the wedding. I've convinced myself to go. Alone. Dressed up nicely. Enter barn back in field. Smell of hay. Whole thing decked out in blue colored lights hanging from the rafters. Attending is mostly a bunch of men. Some in the upper forties. Don't know any of them. Avoid looking at them too much. Am feeling drastically out of place here. I've arrived late, so ceremony begins almost immediately. Friend stands at altar, looking happy. What the fuck happened to him these last few years? One of the dudes is carrying a plushie of this female cartoon character in a bridal gown. They do some weird alt-new-age version of a ceremony, and I don't know if he kisses bride, because I'm looking at the ceiling most of the time. After ceremony, music begins for dancing. Of course it's music from the show. I sit in folding chair in the corner. I'm doodling a picture. A picture of my friend. A picture of my friend at the altar with the female character. Except she's real. But then I drag my pencil across picture roughly. And then I drag it again and again and eventually it is just scribbles. What were you drawing? Look up. Oh my god. I cannot understand it. How is she still alive? Must be in her 90s. And she's eating a snickerdoodle. I'm so startled that I stand up abruptly with drawing pad still in hand and say, No! Way too loudly. What the hell's wrong with me? Everyone stops dancing to look at me. Music keeps playing, but that somehow makes it worse. I back away and stumble from the woman leaning on a walker, slowly munching a snickerdoodle. Finally, look at other guests, all wearing t-shirts with this cartoon's characters. The cartoon's characters in erotic poses. All drawn by me. Realize they are all fans of my work. Friend probably wanted me to draw him a wedding portrait with his bride, but I showed up really late. I'm panicking now. Hear some people in the corner of the room start to count down. 29, 28, 27. 
New Year's coming. I want to exit. Besides the counting down people, most everyone's still eyeing me. Bunch of fucking freaks. Including Chad. I look towards the grassy field framed by the blue lights of Barn Door. Very dark out now, but can still escape. Walk towards it. Feel a hand on my shoulder. Turn. What? It's her arm. I mean the plushie's arm. And her very big eyes, which I've drawn many times, are sewed on cheaply. Friend says to me as he grips Doll's waist, She'd like to dance with you. My reaction makes no sense, but I look down and open my drawing pad up, and then close it again abruptly, and then look back up, eyes wide. Fourteen. Thirteen. Twelve. Eleven. She's still looking at me. Friend moves her, so it's like her arm is rubbing my shoulder. Nine. Eight. My friend says, it would be an honor if you would. Music's still playing. I drop my drawing pad and it hits the floor with a dull thunk, and I take the doll's other shoulder. I need to leave. I gotta get the fuck out of here. She'd love to dance with you, my friend says again, softly. The guests cheer. Midnight has arrived. My friend fully lets go of the plush and says, It's okay, smiling at me. Put your hand on her waist. Hand is sweaty on her waist and I'm doing a swaying waltz now. What the fuck? Drawing pad on ground is open to drawing I made of groom and wife, but wife real. Oh, my name. That's beautiful, he says after looking down. You shouldn't have scribbled all over it. Please make me and female cartoon character's name another one, won't you? Then looks back up at me as I continue awkward dance. He says, that's it, man. Yeah. Yeah. He's whispering. That's it. She loves dancing with you. I'm crying now. Fuck. Fuck. I say out loud. My friend says to my back, It's okay. It's okay. You know, Grandma told me everything. She told me a long time ago, and I'm sorry she did that to you. But really, it's okay, buddy. The music plays louder. I need to leave right fucking now. But when I look at the plushies cheap sewed-on eyes, which are pretty, my friend soothingly coos. She loves dancing with you. Our final tale for the night. A man of science. Bob Hobcob was a hardware engineer just retired with nice pension and gold motherboard from the company Pulet Hackard. 64 with two beautiful grown children and a fabulous wife, he had it all. Money, love, soldering irons. A happy man was Bob. There was just one problem. Bob, now really, are you going to wear that shirt again? The one gap in what would otherwise be the perfect single-phase motor circuit of his smoothly running, terminal box-powered, ACDC, neutral wire, and power wire adjacent life. If only he could wear clothes constantly without having to change them all the time. It was such a thing. He was an inventor, an important man. He had gadgets on his mind, not to mention gizmos. Bob adored his wife, Lee, but there was something so obvious about the way the light kind of seemed to leave her eyes when she saw he was wearing a shirt for Bubby's Bowling the third day in a row. It made Bob feel a tuggy-tuggy in his hearties. It made Bob sad, quoting a board book he'd read Lisa 20 years ago. Oh, he looked down at it, standing now in the kitchen with flip-flops. 
then looked back up to wirely the smile which stole her heart three decades ago. All upper teeth, no lower. Yup, swooping for the milk. Well, all right, my barbarian, if you insist, his wife said, shaking her head over the scramble. Bob considered. It was time for a change. Not of clothing, God no. It was so comfortably stuck to his frame, the wonderful thing that always happened by day three. A change of tack. So, Lee? His faint lisp soared over to her. Yes, dear? Gotta be working in the garage today. Anything still to work on? Lee paused to think on setting down their food. Uh, did you get the catio? Uh, now Bob wondered. Yup. Lee took her seat to answer, Well, no, it should be good. Just be ready by seven for the play by Shaw. Bob nodded. Out of the malignant crease, sludged deep in the hemispheres of his big old brain, a scheme was beginning to painfully crown. He almost moaned. Yeah, Shaw. He gonged. In the afternoon, whilst Lee was off for the bird watching, Bob chortled in his work lair. This should fix things up. Much like when prepping for the monthly road rallies, he was nearly set for a test drive. His upper teeth loomed. Now that was a wonderful play. Lee had her hand loosed on Bob's arm as they rilled down the way and out of the auditorium. And Barbara was fantastic. I thought it was going to be a man with the name Barbara. Oh, oh no. No, Barbara is a woman's name, dear. Yeah, but she's the major. He laughed at the delight of his own wit. Well, no, dear, it's playful. It isn't literal, you see. But I thought a woman couldn't become a major in those times. No, it's playful, Bob. Playful. Oh, Bob. They were ambling down the street toward the car as Lee turned ruminations to her dear companion. He was a wonderful man. There was a certain culture lacking, but she took such joy in enriching him. Her eyes limped down to the shirt, a tee for Stucky's chicken that, yes, he had finally changed into earlier today, but his choices go was pretty old and not in great shape. This shirt slathered under his herringbone coat. The one thing she really did mind. Now, Bob, dear, you're going to be changing that shirt by tomorrow, yes? Bob's cheeks swelled to the top of his face like the globs in a lava lamp. Oh, yup. Oh, good. And she rubbed his arm as the decal of the scion came in view. That night, as Lee slept, she sensed a vague impression in her dreams. A buzzing seemed to run up and down the bridge of her skull. She wrinkled her nose in agitation. The next morning, Lee came down to see Bob plugging away at the tea kettle, and she sighed joyously and said, Good morning, dear. Morning. Oh, now that's a fun shirt, she said, coming over and giving him a pat on the stomach. I think I got it back in the 80s in Fresno. Yes, well, it does look like it's gained some age. Then she conceded, but at least you've changed. She limped over to the china cabinet, fingers brushing by that morning's sentinel. Turning with the spoons, she caught Bob holding a smile in the right-hand flank. Now there was a man with some mystery about him. On the next day, when Bob came back from his errand out of town, she'd seen his note laying on the table that morning, she looked up, then looked up again at his outfit. Hello, Bob. Now, that's a shirt I haven't seen you wear in a while. She came a little closer as Bob started to sort out the bags of gear. Now, hold still. She pinched the fabric. Bob, placid, let his arms go limp as she feigned to inspect. 
Looks like it's a little dirty. Oh, Bob bit his lip mildly. Well, I wasn't wearing it yesterday, so... I know, I'm wondering why it's so out of shape. She tilted her head. Let me throw it in the wash, uh, tomorrow afternoon, when maybe we can finish work on the catio. Lee turned to pause her flight up the stairs. The catio? But it's already... Then her husband sucked his lips and looked down at the floor. Yup, he said. Will you all right? She put a hand on a traipsing newel. Yup, fine. Bob went back to his rotaries. Should I pick up anything for dinner tonight? Oh, I was just going to put something together from what was in the house. Just, she nearly disappeared up the hall, but then reversed and said, Oh, but Bob. Yeah? I was thinking that maybe for tonight, before we go to see that Shaw play, I might make some Hawaiian pulled pork. There was a silence which nonplussed Lee, as normally Bob was fast to dive into pulled pork as if it were Illyria. Yup, said Bob, finally. Pulled pork, she caught him mutter. Well, that's odd, she thought. I wonder if a Skype call to Lisa or Danny will cheer him up. She made a silent note of it, knowing her impeccable memory would come in to serve. The following afternoon, Lee struggled over her crossword puzzle, but mostly she was distracted. Bob, humming on the porch as he fiddled with the birdhouse hanger, was today wearing a really awful shirt. At least it wasn't the one he wore yesterday or had worn in any recent memory at all. But there were problems. It had bits of sweat under the nipples. His pants, too, had tea stains and post-it notes on the back. And last night, she'd had this sensation of a buzz going up and down her skull, a sensation she had never experienced before. Bob? She called through the window. A fly emerged from his fly. What? Did you wear that shirt yesterday? Lee knew the answer, but felt an urge to ask anyhow. Bob twisted the dowel of the birdhouse so his forearm blocked her view. Don't think so, he said innocently. She looked back down. A seven-letter word for pig in the sheets. These puzzles were getting stranger every day. Oh, and that's funny. She'd gotten out of sync. Even though it was Friday, she was working on the Monday puzzle. Lee froze, a chill coming over her. She thought of her mother in the declining years, amnesia coming in to leave its sweet drippings. Um, ums were unusual for Lee Hobcob. Bob? Later, the next day? The next three days? What? Lee received an email from Lisa asking if everything was okay. It wasn't like her to miss a Skype call, the email noted curtly. This was when her panic set in. Once Bob alighted from his workshop, he saw an unnerving sight. Lee was quickly frazzling around, stacking bowls of china into disheveled columns on their dining room table. What? What's this? said Bob. Now, I could have sworn, she whirled on Bob, there were 18 of the blue enamel china bulls, and here they are, 18. Now, how could I have lost track? Bob walked over. Well, did you lose track, or... I didn't! No, I didn't! Her voice rising. Bob stood there. There were always these differences. For instance, she liked to read farces by that Englishman who wrote about a butler and the retarded man he gave Huggy's diaper rolls to or whatever. But Bob was a science man. Yup. Science was the man for him. Now science! Lee was looking at him, evidently keenly upset. Bob realized he had been muttering the word science for the last five seconds. Now, Bob, how is it we're thinking about science at a time like this? I mean, we missed a Skype call with Lisa and Danny. I mean, honestly. Bob's eyes widened. Oh. I mean, science isn't going to have anything to prove about this, Bob. Her tendons ached out. Prove about what? Bob had sat. Oh, never mind. 
She paced around, whamming down more bowls of delicate china. On the third thrust, one smashed into pieces, and Bob said, Oh, Lee, now I got it. You sit there. It's all right. And she waved him off, but Bob said, Lee? She looked at him. And that shirt. Bob, how? Not to mention your khakis, but I haven't seen you wearing that shirt in years, but look at it. It was true. To start, there were bugs on the neck lining. A giant ketchup bottle had been emptied on the back, so now red dripped to the seat of his undies. Sticking out of the breast pocket, peeped a Kilroy was here insignia, made entirely out of lemonade. The armpits hung in great hammocking loops where Bob stored rusted washers and open baggies of trail mix, and the holes over the bias binding made you think of coin-operated tower viewers that let you stare at a galaxy of gut. There wasn't much shirt left. Where did you even get a shirt for Stucky's chicken? Lee said, wiping the same spot on the table over and over. Bob gulped. And I don't care what the science says, Lee said, flicking a piece of ceramic in the cupboard. It is not going to determine that I should have to lose my memory just because a woman who happened to be my mother did herself. It just isn't. Bob looked at his seat. It hit him. He then heard grunting and fussing and swiveled up to realize Lee was picking sharp bits of bull with her bare hands, starting to ebb blood onto the tiling. Bob stood. Wait, hold on. Now it's all right. I've got it. I've... Lee, don't fuss. I've got it. Lee! She stopped. He had never spoken to her above 13 decibels. He thought about it once and measured. Well, what is it, Bob? She said quietly, sitting before him. Bob braced himself. Then, keeping his hands together, he explained that he had been kinda, sorta erasing her memory every night so he could get away with wearing the same clothes forever. He pulled out the machine with a single tube salient and the dial determining number of days one wishes to be rid of. I don't understand, said Lee. He explained more. He told her of the day she went into near hysterics over the crossword puzzle. He told her of the day, two days, in fact, she'd noticed that he was not taking to the pulled pork. He told her about the five evenings in which Bob reluctantly drove them to the theater to see the play by Shaw, only for it to be shuttered. Bob now showed her the ticket stubs, perforated from a week earlier. There was a moment of silence. And then Lee, not knowing what was coming over her, slammed her hand on the table and glared at Bob before saying, You, you complete son of a bitch! She gasped and immediately covered her mouth before running to grab him and squeeze the tall, unclean shirt in a bear hug. She had never sworn at him before. They rose. Bob ran a hand over his bald scalp. I can't believe I've done this, he said. They stood there, clutching each other at the darkness hovering in. They had managed to keep it out for some thirty years. Now I know what we can do, Lee said finally. So Lee gave the pending instructions. She gave the orders. She gave the plan. Bob obeyed, and there was no questioning. The machine duly became adjusted. Lee oversaw, and everything was gradually reckoned. With some tips from Bob, she was ready to go. All right, dear. They stood outside by the shed. The solution was simple. Lee needed to keep guard from her husband's baser, more impulsive, less considerate instincts, yet, she had decided, needed to keep him. Bob, as would be the new scientific challenge for the rest of his life, had to live with himself.
if it weren't for this. Ready? Lee said to him. He couldn't nod, but he gave a thumbs up. Okay, then. She steadied the aluminum barrel of her husband's invention against his large, lovely forehead and fired the beam after speaking to him soothingly. It's all right, darling, she said. Time to forget. The October is written by Trash Clapton and performed by me, Jason Everett. Our logo was designed by Bridget Hancheck. The theme song is Octoberian by 8 equals 10. Special thanks to the Queen Bee for help with A Man of Science's Ending. Tune in next time. Until then, stay undecimated.